Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Arteaga. I have Chris Kaufman here with me. I do not have Simon. He's a little bit under the weather. He was also having a problem getting a train from London. So he has, you know, London problems. Anyways. Chris. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. (laughs) Chris, there were some rule changes that were proposed this weekend, and I know that you're not aware of them because we talked about it as as we were coming into the show, and you had no idea about this. Not at all. The Denver Broncos proposed doing away with the onside kick Mm. and having it replaced with a fourth and 15 from your own 35-yard line. If you convert it, Sure enough, you you continue with a first down. If you don't convert it, wherever the play stops, the other team takes over the ball. Now, normally this, you know, we wouldn't pay this no mind, except that the competition committee voted 7-1 to in favor of the rule change. Today, it failed in front of all the owners. Ah. What What are your thoughts on this very odd rule change? Okay, so... To be to be fair and truthful, I I heard something about this before, so this is not one hundred percent a surprise. Um, I had no idea it failed. <laughs> it failed today. Uh, that's, that's news to me. Uh, I I heard I heard that it got out of committee um, and something you know because on Twitter they were they were mentioning something about it and like John Mara had a quote about it that said something like "What are we the what are we arena football or <laughs> you know something like that." Um, he was the one guy that was like, didn't want to let it out of committee. I, I get the feeling that the other seven votes were only just like, you know, Hey, yeah, let's put it before the entire body and let it get shot down. I think it's a terrible idea. Don't, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I, 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 I don't know why I can't see why the NFL would support this. It's so weird. Like, you know, okay. First off, I, I get it. Onside kicks are becoming not, 
really realistic to to get one. I think the only onside kicks that seem successful are the surprise ones that mm-hmm. you come out of a half and you do an onside kick right away or something like that, and the other team's not expecting it, and then maybe you get it. Onside kicks that come at the end of the game just don't seem to ever work. I don't know what the actual percentage is. Uh, supposedly, onside kick percentages are supposed to be approaching something like 20% or 15% or something like that. And I think those end-of-game ones have to be much lower than that. I don't know. I just It just never seems to work. Anyway, um, yeah, maybe they want to make those more competitive. But I think that – listen, if you've been dominated for like 56 minutes of the game and you're down by 13 and, you know, you, you want to mount this incredibly un, not unprecedented but unlikely comeback, then you should have to do it with all three phases of the game. Yeah. You know, you should have to you should have to do it by running up and down the field on offense, scoring, uh, as well as you know either getting an onside kick and actually getting it, or kicking to the defense and having to hold them, and and getting the hold and then getting the ball back. Like you should have. I mean, you've been dominated for fifty five, fifty six minutes of the games the game if you want to actually do this comeback you have to win all three phases and and really make it count the onside kick thing this fourth and 15 thing is just weird it feels almost like cheating <laughs> it's like yeah, it it's like okay now my offense has the ball again after i just executed what a, a five minute touchdown drive against a defense that's now tired already because i just went five minutes against them and now I'm going to get the fourth and 15 conversion and I'm just going to keep it on offense again and just keep running it, you know, down the field. It's, it's stupid. <laughs> yeah. It's odd. What, 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 you know, what struck me was that actually seven people voted to get it out of committee and it wasn't, you know, seven out of 20, it was seven out of eight. So there was only one guy that came to the, to his senses. Now there was another one that made it out of committee and it went to a full vote. And before it was turned down, they tabled it, which means that they're going to take it up at a later date. A lot of people think that this one has a very good chance at going through. And that's the Kansas city chiefs. They proposed that both teams should be able to possess the ball in overtime. Even if the opening possession results in a touchdown. Additionally, they're going to get rid of the, uh, the overtime coin toss. So the winner of the pregame coin toss will get to pick between kicking or receiving the ball. Mm -hmm. So this is basically an answer to what happened to them against the Patriots in the Asian championship game. I think this is completely reasonable. I don't know why it didn't pass on the first try, but I don't know. What do you think? I think that's upsetting that it didn't pass on the first try. The fact that it's tabled, I think it absolutely – should be the case when they changed it to this thing that was was sort of like get in or get out guys you know the overtime they changed it from being sudden death to this this idea that they were going to give each other a chance but then they're like oh but if you score a touchdown it's over and it's like no that's that's just dumb I think if you're going to give each team a chance in overtime give each team a chance or each offense a chance in overtime don't do this stupid halfway thing um and and yeah i do think it detracts from the game nobody that's watching the football game except for maybe the the fans of the team that win nobody that's watching the football game uh whether it be the fans of the losing team or even just objective fans of other teams wants to see an overtime where pat mahomes never even got the ball 
you know, yeah. or, you know, Tom Brady never even got the ball. You know, it, you, you were tied, you went into overtime. Great. We never even got the ball. Nobody likes that. And the only people who like that are the fans of the team that wins. Mm. So why didn't it, why did, why is it shelved? That's stupid. Well, talk about stupid. They're, they did pass five other rules. Now, three of them are, you know, kind of getting into the weeds because it's about enforcing double fouls when there's a change of possession. So I'm not going to get into those. But there's two this, that kind of are interesting. starting to be like the EU. <laughs> yeah, but there's two that are kind of interesting. The first one that they passed, it was almost unanimous. They made mm-hmm. permanent the kickoff rule changes that they adopted last year. Do you have any problem with that? Oh, no, it, was, it seemed fine to me. I'm, yeah, I thought so too. I, I think that's basically it was an, it was a nothing burger. Now here's the one that's going to get interesting. They're expanding the protection to a defenseless player, and they're expanding it to blindside blocks. Now, what is a blindside block? They showed some examples of it, and you've seen them before. It's all of those spectacular blocks that you see on kickoff returns and peelbacks on on a screen or on a wide receiver screen where, I don't know, uh, somebody peels off and picks off a linebacker. All of that is now a mm. personal foul, 15 yards. It's my understanding that this is just to prevent cheap shots, right, from, from guys blocking a guy that's not really looking for it, right? Well, there's a fine line between a cheap shot and a, and a great block. Well, no, I think I – personally, I, I think they're just cheap shots. I, I don't know. I, it – Listen, you're trying to you're trying to do this thing where you're trying to make the game safer, and there's a real threat here to the NFL because you've got all kinds of parents pulling their kids out of the sport, and um, you got people that are being less interested in it. You've got medical bills mounting with players and former players, and you know more stuff about CTE. I know that this sort of hit is responsible for. I think they said something like a third of all concussions or, or something like that, that, that happened. It's responsible for a third of all concussions on punt returns. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I think absolutely. If you can wipe out a third of concussions that happen on any particular play in the game, then you probably do it, especially when it's it really, every time it happens, you know, the ooh and ah that you get from watching it happen and the feel-good moment is it almost feels like you know just watching gladiators stab each other i mean that's not it, it it's not so much gamesmanship as as it is oh he just got knocked the fuck out you know i mean that that's that's not i don't know if that's the same thing of what you're going for in football and i think that that's they're just trying to make the game safer i'm i'm for it i'm for doing that i think you know what a cheap shot is I, when you stick your arm out or, you know, give them a good forearm shiver or, uh, or something or a lead with your head or something like that on those, those side blocks when they're not looking for it. Listen, you'll know it when you see it. I, I don't know that we have to get all, um, you know, legalese about it and, and figure out, you know, Oh, but what about this? And what about that? You know, the, you're going to know it when you see it, right. You're going to yeah. know what's going to draw the flag and the play that does it knows it when he does it and that's probably just as important yeah because he's usually really really proud of it <laughs> yeah he is <laughs> <laughs> like when Jarvis Landry almost murdered that Buffalo Bills safety I forget his name uh god he really did almost kill that guy what was um <laughs> yes I forget his name too but 
was it was it Duke something or other? Was it that Duke guy? I don't, I don't remember him. I really don't remember his last name. Oh man, this is what Simon is for. <laughs> we need him. He would know. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we have we kind of had some news because our head coach Brian Flores spoke this weekend at the at the coaches meeting, and Chris Greer was making the rounds. And you found something interesting that Chris Greer said that I found odd. <laughs> what was it, Chris? Well, I was, I, this is the first time I can remember ever hearing a GM say something that basically implies that the high side, you know, the, the top end of what Miami can do next year is be eight and eight. Because <laughs> he said something along the lines, hey, even if, even if we're as high as eight and eight, then we have the draft capital next year to maneuver around and do what we want to do. And I think he was implying about getting a quarterback, which – Basically, well, first off is is false. No, they don't have that sort of draft capital. They they have an extra late third round pick and an extra fourth round pick. I'm sorry, yeah. that doesn't get you from pick 19 to like pick number two, to to pick up the second best quarterback in the draft or something like that. Uh, just just false, absolutely false statement. Yeah, if you want to guarantee, in my opinion, if you want to guarantee yourself a quarterback in next year's draft, not well, we're already talking about next year's draft when it when right. Now, when yeah. next year's draft is actually in four weeks, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, 2000, 2020, okay? You want to mm. guarantee yourself a quarterback? You better have two first-round picks in that first round. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it with an extra third-round compensatory pick no, and an no. extra fourth-round pick from the Tannehill trade. No, you need those two first-round picks so you can maneuver to go get your guy, whoever that may be, Herbert, from. Yeah, maybe Tua if you're close enough. But it was just so weird that he's like, "Well, even if we're as good, at, even if we're as high as eight and eight, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. what? You're you're basically starting. You're starting out right now. You haven't even done the draft, and you're basically starting out right now. Like we are definitely not going to be better than eight and eight next year. I mean, listen, I understand why, and everybody everybody that's listening to us is probably going to agree with Chris Greer, and I get it, but you know, let's just keep in mind that when it comes to projections and predictions in football, yeah. the NFL beats us over the head every year with how stupid we are. Yeah. I mean, that's how many times have you seen a team that you were sure was going to be, I mean, I've, I've had conversations with these same people that are talking about how talentless this roster is and how, you know, we're, how awful we're going to be. Uh, same exact people were saying the same exact thing in 2016, and we went 10 and six. Yes, <laughs> we made the playoffs for the first time since uh, since what? Like, yeah, I guess I guess since uh, George W. Bush was still in office. <laughs> <laughs> well, 2008 when Barack Obama was elected. So yeah, but I mean, he hadn't even taken office yet. I don't think. No, so, no. So. When we played that, when we played that game. Yeah, but. Speaking of that, I have a little game that we can play. Oh, God. And this is basically, we're going to be cold taking a few people from a while back. And you're going to try to guess which team this was. And this is from very recent history. Okay. So these are several examples of somebody saying a team is going to be absolutely horrific. And then they weren't. Ooh. You ready? Okay, let's go. Okay, all of these are, I have one, two, three, four, five pundits, okay? All aggregated from cbssports.com. They're different pundits from different areas. Some are from Yahoo 
NFL.com. Some are from SB Nation. Mm-hmm. Some are from NFL Network. Okay. Here are the quotes. This one is from John Breach. Based on how this team's offseason went, let's not pretend like 0-16 is not out of the question. Okay? <laughs> the next quote, okay, because each one gets even more ridiculous. The next quote is from Will Brinson. There's nothing easy on this schedule until they play in week five and six. Those might be the only games they win all year. Wow. Okay, then we have Jared Dubin who said, I can't see them getting a win until week six or seven. That's where it ends. Week six or seven. That they're, they're, they're going to go winless until week six or seven. That's what these people are saying. So this is, this is a, okay, so this is a 2015 team. <laughs> okay, yeah. This is, that, is, and, is and, that what you're saying? Yeah, okay, here's another, here's another one. This is from Sean Wagner McDowell, okay? I'm not saying they're going 0-16, but I'm saying they might go 0-16. <laughs> okay. These are great. Now, now, this guy is Ryan Wilson, and he actually covers the team that we're talking about. Oh, ouch. Okay, and he, he writes a really long piece. I had to pick out a few parts, but he says, mm-hmm. they have no quarterback to speak of. The coach is on a hot seat and probably has no clue. Okay. Then he runs down the roster. Now, I can't tell you some of these teams because then you're going to guess who it is. Right. But then he writes, is this an 0-16 outfit? You got to ask yourself. We know it sounds like hyperbole until you remember who we're talking about. This is an 0-16 outfit. Okay. (laughs) What is that team? We have four predictions of possible 0-16, and one guy was really generous with 2-14. and Wow. Really awful. <laughs> <laughs> who is who is that team? Oh my god. Um uh, wait, okay. So would it be no, no, it wouldn't be that. It wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the Carolina. Um I'm gonna go with the Houston Texans. Nope. Do you want the answer? <sighs> yeah, go, go ahead. Hit me it with it. It was the 2015 Washington Redskins. What did they do that year? Oh, wait, they were 9-7 and seven that year. They were 9-7, and seven and they won the division, and they went to the playoffs and lost oh to the God. Packers in the first round. <laughs> and they had – oh, wow. So this is, this is like before Kirk Cousins. People realized that Kirk Cousins, Cousins were good didn't, um, or, or semi-good, whatever you think he is. Yes. Uh, this is before that, right? Yeah, and Kirk Cousins actually started that season, and that was the season where he, he did the – you like that, you like that. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, it's starting to come down, come back to me now. So they went nine and seven, and uh, and and won the division. Yes, won the division. Like every single analyst was like, they're going zero and sixteen. <laughs> yes, that's, that's what I mean. Like you know, like I said it before, the last thirty years, Las Vegas, uh, the team or teams that they had predicted to have the worst record in the NFL. Um, only three times did that team end up with the number one overall pick. I mean, which is basically like, you know, almost like a market, <laughs> almost like a market return on your project, uh, on your predictions. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, not that this go is going to happen with the dolphins. We think they're no, going to no, be bad. No, no. no absolutely not. They're going to be pretty bad, but, but yeah, I, the one that comes to mind and I was teasing Simon about this earlier, was, uh, you know, 2017 when the Buffalo Bills were supposed to be uh, tanking. Yeah. Because remember they had, they had, like, accumulated all those draft picks for 2018, and yes. they were selling off players and stuff like that. And it was just like, oh, yeah, this team is totally tanking. I mean, they got they, – they still had – no people don't like, 
I like Tyron Taylor. Nobody else does. You know, and they still had Tyron Taylor that that year, and uh, they but they ended up starting Nathan Peterman. Right? Was, yes, that was the year. That was the Nathan Peterman. Year. Yeah, think about think about that team. That team awful was supposed to be supposed so to be bad. Okay, and they tried tanking so hard that mm-hmm. they actually started Nathan Peterman twice. Yeah, and that's the that's they, the crazy thing about well, it. And they still won nine games. So you can make an argument they should have won eleven. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, they started Nathan Peterman in two games, and and had him like you know playing in some other ones too, and it was just, I mean, you couldn't be more obvious about tanking than if you start Nathan Peterman in the games. And they just kept winning and winning and winning. <laughs> I think the I think they started him after he threw. Didn't he? He threw like five interceptions in a game. Yeah, he had a game against I think I believe it was the San Diego Chargers where he at one point had thrown six passes and three of them were intercepted. Oh my God! Yeah, and he, then he had threw two more interceptions in the second half. Yeah, he he had five interceptions against. You're right, the the Chargers, and then he started another game after that. <laughs> yeah, like he he played significantly in two more games after that, and this. And they went to the playoffs. Exactly. Insane. That's the NFL. That's how. That's the NFL. That's how little we know. I mean, whenever we, whenever we use, you know, words. I mean, strong words when we say things like guaranteed or, you know, yeah. bank on it or something like that. You know, just just call bullshit on us. <laughs> yeah, nobody really knows anything. Yeah. All right, before we go to break, Chris, uh, the last piece of news, and this is Dolphin-related, Robert Quinn, what is the status on him? Evidently, uh, uh, the Dallas Cowboys are really hot after Robert Quinn, at least according to Clarence Hill of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. He says that they have met with him, they're comfortable with him, they see him as the acquisition of the offseason that puts them over the top. And actually, it kind of reminds me of like, stupid times in our past but as Dolphins yeah. fans when like 2003 yeah. when we thought that a 34 year old junior Seau and uh Sam and the safety sent who you know who runs like a four seven or something like that Sammy Knight were supposed to put us over the top you know like oh that's this is the Super Bowl winning acquisition Sammy Knight oh my god you know junior Seau 34 years old oh my god yeah um so Robert Quinn is that guy to them yeah. evidently the Dallas Cowboys I don't get it um but yeah they, they they're hot out of him but the the problem for from their perspective is that the New Orleans Saints are also kind of hot on Robert Quinn and uh he is I I think probably more importantly I think he's hot on them because I had some intel uh a while back a couple weeks back that really Robert Quinn was expecting to sign with the New Orleans Saints when he thought that he was going to be letting go by the Dolphins instead of, you know, playing this trade game. So the Dolphins are looking at the idea of signing him or having Robert Quinn negotiate a new contract with the team, either the Dallas Cowboys or the New Orleans Saints or some mystery team to be unnamed, which Chris Greer alluded to today. Um, Negotiate a new contract, and then Miami might pay the signing bonus of that new contract and actually – actually do execute the contract with Robert Quinn on behalf of the other team, pay the signing bonus, and then trade him off. And what that does essentially is saying Miami is is selling you cap space. All right. We got to go to a break now. And when we come back, 
we kick off our draft coverage of the 2019 NFL Draft. But first, these words. Hi, this is Craig Mish from Swings and Mishes here on the Five Reasons Podcast Network. Just in case you missed any of our podcasts in the past, here's what you missed. We have been um, extremely aggressive in, in trying to acquire additional uh, international dollars, not just for you know uh, potential free agents with two first names. It's nice that that ownership is is fully supportive and allowing us to to, to do everything in our power um, to be um, the best team. In, in this region, in the gateway to America, and, and, and for Miami to become a destination spot for, for all Latin players, uh, because, you know, this is such an international city. Hey, it's Seth Levitt here from the Fish Tank with my main man. O.J. McDuffie, the Juice. And Juice, we've got a special guest over the next two weeks in the tank. What's up, everybody? It's Pat Sertan, and I'm officially diving into the Fish Tank. If he was better than Peyton, yeah. he definitely wasn't better than me. Oh, there <laughs> so we that's go. What so that's what I wanted to get, get yeah. <laughs> That's where we're going with it. Did you mm-hmm. and Peyton ever play against each other in high school? Absolutely. Beat him 35-7. Wow. to Get out of here. Oh, yeah. I had three rushing and two passing on him, accounting for all five touchdowns. How <laughs> <laughs> hands and all of them. Yeah. Hey, Pat came so, in here saying he doesn't remember stuff, but he remembered remember all that. that. Make sure you dive into the tank to hear our entire interview with Patrick Sertan here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. You can catch up on what you've missed and hear new episodes every two weeks until July by searching The Fish Tank on Apple Music, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts. And we're back. And yes, this is the official kickoff of draft season. This is our first attempt at kicking off our draft coverage for the 2019 NFL draft. Chris, you have some names that the Miami Dolphins have evidently met with this offseason. I feel like what was implied there is we're going to have like a second attempt to kick off our coverage of the... Well, no, this is the kickoff Simon. of coverage. Yeah, we don't have Simon here, so... That's true. This is so. This is like this is a this is a a, a dry run. Attempt. Yeah, a dry run. This doesn't count. Anything we say here is just you know just BS. Just yeah, throw spoiler it away. alert. Spoiler alert, listeners. Uh, from now until the draft, which if you do your math, it's about four, maybe five shows. If we give you a bonus one, will be all draft. So, yes. Well, this. Yeah, if we give a bonus one. Then. Um, yeah, so what we're going to do since Simon is gone is we're going to talk about all the players he hates. Mm-hmm. Um, no, what, what I want to do is I want to go through a list of uh, uh, put together by Kevin Dern. You can find him at Twitter, at uh, KevinMD4. Not really sure what the MD4 means. Um, maybe he's represents the Maryland 4th District um, in the house. Who knows? Um, he puts together a list of Miami Meats, and um and sorry not those kinds of meets um meetings that miami has had (laughs) with players yeah that's uh private workouts uh combine interviews pro days just guys miami have paid attention to Uh, many people have done this sort of thing over the years when simon and i were working with draft wins um with the dave hyde blog we used to do the same thing and we're famously ripped off one year. And so this time I'm going to rip off Kevin, except with his permission. So here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the quarterback position first. And these are the guys that Miami have paid attention to, interviewed, Shrine Game, 
uh, senior bowl, pro day, whatever. Kyler Murray, of course, absolutely. Miami has paid attention to Kyler Murray. They were at his pro day. They did a, a, a workout, you know, after the pro day, a private workout. Um, believe they interviewed him at the combine as well. Heard things about that, which I can't repeat. Um, Dwayne Haskins, of course, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Drew Locke, absolutely. Uh, Daniel Jones, Ugh. unfortunately. Jarrett Stidham of like, Auburn. I haven't even mentioned at all, but he strikes yeah, me hardly. as that would be really, really, really interesting, like fourth, fifth round maybe? Hardly. We've hardly talked about Stidham, um, no. and it's still too much. Uh, Will Greer of West Virginia. Pass. Brett, Brett Rippon of Boise State. Another interesting yeah. one. Jordan Tamu of Ole Miss, uh, Tyree Jackson of Buffalo. That's the the big six foot seven, two hundred and fifty plus pound, huge upside you know, guy, explosive dynamite arm, and runs a four six. Yeah. Um, and then of course our guy QB Easton Stick of North Dakota Dakota State. Your second round pick for your Miami Dolphins this year. The Bison, not the Bisons, the Bison. The Bison. Those yeah. great green and yellow uniforms. So what st- sticks out at you? <laughs> sticks. Um, what sticks out at you aside from, uh, you know, Jarrett Stidham, who I hate? Uh, what sticks out to me is who's not on that list. Who isn't? Nobody. <laughs> they basically <laughs> they interviewed everybody. <laughs> so if you exist and you threw a football in, tw- in 2018, they sure, talked to you. That's uh, that's, that's a good point well taken. That's, uh, that's so there's not much to cover. Yeah, now I would have loved to not see Daniel Jones on that list and not see Will Greer on that list, but I guess, you know, you got to trust the guys that are in charge now, though. Well, then, you know, do you do your due diligence? I think they've got to they've got to do it. Um I hope that they're not I mean, there are some there are some like crossing of paths in Miami staff with Daniel Jones that still worries me. Um you know, guys that have worked with him at Duke or, or you know, kind of have ties with Cutcliffe. Yeah, all the yeah, the, the two degrees of separation. Yeah, it's scary. Exactly. That stuff. Yeah. It's not it's not uh yeah, it, it's an uneasiness. Yes, but it, um, it is. But for what Brett it's Rippin. worth for what it's worth, I'm told that you know, now this has happened before in other off seasons and it really hasn't yeah. amounted to much. But I'm told that the front office is on to Easton Stick and has been on to Easton Stick for a while. Now, does mm. that translate to a, a recommendation to Chris Greer and to Brian Flores? No, mm-hmm. let's, let's hope. But they are on to him. Mm-hmm. So I will probably base my prediction, like I said it before on, on the, our previous podcast, if they manage to pull off some type of trade that nets them another second-round pick this year, and they have two second-round picks, I could absolutely see the scenario where they just say, you know what, this is surplus. Let's just take our guy because we we really like him, and we're just well, going to take him here. Let's say for the listeners, okay, we know that Easton Stick, for the most part, with all the media that you read, whether you read CBS rankings, you know, whoever's rankings, Easton Stick is not being predicted to go in the second round, right? No, I mean, absolutely not. He's, he's, so, uh, so tell he's us why you sport. say second round. He's, he's an outside of the top 100 guy right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. why do you think that Miami could use a second rounder on him as opposed to a later pick? Like, is because there something that puts him there? 
because teams usually get pretty nervous and they overdraft quarterbacks, and it's going to be one of those things where they can't mm-hmm. read the board. And instead of reading the board, if you have another second-round pick, you just say, you know what, to hell with it. Mm-hmm. And just take your guy because you really don't like anything else behind him. Does remind me a little bit of the of the Russell Wilson thing in 2012, where mm-hmm. you know most everybody had Russell Wilson on day three in that draft. I, I remember this vividly. Everybody had him as a sort of a fifth rounder, fourth rounder, something like that. When he went in the third round, that was a surprise, and it was regarded widely uh, as the Seahawks taking him around early to make sure that they got him and that he was the target. And yes, everybody acknowledged that he was the target for them pretty much all along. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they took him around early to make sure that they got him. Uh, now, little did we know, the Seahawks were actually sitting nervous and thinking maybe we should take him in the second round. And it took a lot of balls to 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 wait until the th- that third round pick, yeah, and um, and have the faith in their uh, their mock drafting to make sure that they got him at the right price level. But um, but they were thinking about it in the second round. Easton Stick, it kind of, you know, everybody's got him in day three. I am fully acknowledge that. Yeah. Let's not let's not try and pretend yeah, anything. Like I said, there. he's, he's uh, outside of the top 100 guy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, but, and yet you think, okay, a team might take him in the third just because they're going to want to get him a little earlier than everybody else is going to be looking into him. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you're thinking, well, if that team are really hot on him, they may be feeling nervous about him toward the end of the second. <laughs> and yeah. then they start and then they start, you know, thinking about maybe trading up or doing whatever. So and then they talk themselves into taking him a little bit earlier than they expected to. Yeah. I mean, basically, um, you know, this isn't a good uh a good example because it didn't work out. But, you know, what happened with guys like EJ Manuel and Christian Ponder, <laughs> except they went all the way in the mid first. <laughs> exactly. No, and the thing about it is that it's it's quarterback. So it's like it's one of those positions that you tend to marry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if you, think, if you think to yourself, you know what, we can really, really, really use a tight end. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you could talk yourself into like three or four tight ends. Or if you need a defensive end, you say, you know what? I really like this one defensive end that I have targeted for pick, let's say, pick number 67. But then you're figuring, you know what? We may not take him at 67, but with pick 82, we could take this guy right here who we kind of, you know, kind of like. Quarterback Mm -hmm. is not like that. Quarterback, you Mm -hmm. tend to marry two or three in an entire draft. And once one and two are gone, which are probably likely maybe Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins, yeah. The number three starts sticking around in the second round, and you're like, what are we going to do? You know, we, we're just yeah, going right. to watch somebody else take them, and then we have nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we think they like – well, we, we're pretty sure they like Kyler Murray. Um, we think yeah. they like Dwayne Haskins and probably Drew Locke. Yes. Um, Daniel Jones, we don't know. We hope they don't, but they might. Uh, and then after that, you know, who do, they, who do they really like? And one reason that we say Easton Stick – is more likely for listen the the Patriots offense that the uh Chad O'Shea and Jerry Shaplinsky and George Godsey and guys like that are bringing over from New England is a a 21 personnel and 12 personnel running offense it's a play action offense I mean every Mm -hmm. every year Tom Brady is one of the most prolific play action passers in the NFL uh it's under center 
it's very, it, you know, you might call it very traditional. It's a lot more traditional than other teams that are running 11 personnel constantly. Um, and Easton Stick played at North Dakota State in that offense. I mean, he, yeah. he basically makes, he makes ran. A lot of sense. It's an offense. It's, it's under center. It's play action oriented, constant play action passing, turning your back to the defense on play action. Um, it's a running offense. It's a run-based offense. They use a lot of two tight end personnel, a lot of three tight end personnel, uh, stuff, stuff that he'll be using in the NFL. I mean, he, he walks into the NFL kind of understanding nuances that haven't been taught to other guys yet. And so he's, he's going to be ahead of guys. I mean, whatever you think of the talent, you know, he's going to be ahead of other guys that way. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we keep bringing him up is because he's basically – he's such a good fit for what the Dolphins in particular mm. are going to want to run this year. And Absolutely. that's you know, it's just something to think about. Um, well, right. well, I want to move on to another position. So you, you roll on with another position. All right, let's move on to the running backs, okay? They met with Josh Jacobs, in my opinion, the best of the three Alabama backs. Yeah, he's sexy. Yeah, yeah, he's, he, that's a good-looking running back. Yes. David Montgomery of Iowa State, Daryl Henderson of Memphis, the very painfully slow Elijah Holyfield of Georgia. I'm a huge Elijah Holyfield fan. Then he blasted off a, what was it, a four-eight-three at the Combine, and I was wondering, you know, what happened to him? But he's powerful. He looks good in the hole. He's aggressive. He's he's fun to watch. But how long do you I think just, it took him to get to the uh, to the meeting? Yeah, he's just slow. Like that's just too slow to play in the NFL. But he can play yeah, football. So, so you know, if if it hurts his draft status, I guess lucky for us if we could get him like in the fifth round. Nah, I wouldn't touch him. Uh, anyway, David Ozigbo <laughs> of Nebraska. Yeah, but he could play football, Chris. And you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, the the locally famous Devin Singletary, who some think could be the first running back taken, maybe in a very light running back draft. I don't know what you think of that. Well, Josh Jacobs. How can, how can he go above Josh Jacobs? Yeah, it's either him or, or Josh Jacobs, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. FAU. And they, and they met with two fullbacks, Alec Ingold of Wisconsin, who I've watched play, and Robert Trovato which sounds like a fullback from Temple, who I have not seen play. You absolutely nailed that name. Rich Rovato? I, yeah, I didn't, you know, I, didn't even wanna, I didn't want to take this position just because I didn't want to say that name. <laughs> well, your thoughts on this whole group. I know, you know, Josh Jacobs is just sexy. The only thing is, man, we have so many holes. And, yeah. you know, pound for pound, our, our running back room is pretty nice. You know, the interesting part is and that – Josh um, Jacobs – is it fair to say that Josh Jacobs is a second-round pick no matter what? At least. I mean, he might be a first-round yeah. pick. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know. I was a little surprised how that Josh Jacobs is only like 220 or 225 pounds, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, he plays bigger. He, he seems like a bigger dude. My favorite there in the whole list is David Montgomery of Iowa State. I think he's, I think he's just a phenomenal player. Um, he's – I don't, I don't know. See, I don't care that much about for running back 40 times, but when you're running slower than offensive linemen, then the guys that are blocking for you, I think that's a problem. Um, 
with Elijah Holyfield anyway. Uh, but yeah. David Montgomery is a, is a good running back. You watch him, you know, he runs with agility and power and, and he can do everything out there and he can put an offense on his back. That's kind of what you're looking for with this, um, this position. But the thing to keep in mind about the position is I know we're like, eh, you know, Hey, we got Kenny Drake and we got Kalen Balage. I mean, that's, that's enough, right? Um, well, it might not be because if you think about how the New England Patriots used their running backs, mm. they need to keep they need to keep that stable full of backs because they use them a lot more for the passing game than we're used to. Um, you know, these guys are going to get a bump up in uh, in passing game usage between uh, Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balage and and whoever we whoever else we might get. By the so, way, something very interesting on, on that front uh, in Brian Flores' interview when he met with the media, he mentioned two players more than anybody else on the roster, and they hmm. were Kenyon Drake, Kellen Blush. So, really? So yeah, he's, at, he, he's actually thinking about something. Yeah. You know, when, when he mentions I, them. He, he also mentioned Charles Harris. So if you're Kenyon Drake and – and Kellen Balaj don't get too excited, okay? You know, he he was he was there in New England when we unleashed the Wildcat on them. So so maybe he's, what he's thinking about is the Wildcat that we're going to have to run once Ryan Fitzpatrick goes down with injury. Um yeah, so I I think I they're not done at this position even with those two. I don't think at all because just because they need the bodies in New England system, they have they ask so much of their running backs um to execute that I think I yeah. can't help but think there's going to be somebody else here and probably a guy from, well, maybe a guy from this list, you know, maybe even Elijah Holyfield, if he just goes sinking like a stone because, um, because he, he can't run a 40 to save his life. Right. Yeah. And Brian Flores did mention, by the way, that, that they, they are going to look to augment that room and it could be with an undrafted free agent. It could be with a draft pick. It could even be with a, a free agent. So mm. he did mention adding something to that room. But he did mention Kenyon Drake, Kellen Blige, that he's pretty happy with those two. And he said glowing things about Kenyon Drake. He said that he was a problem to defend while he was in New England. Well, he was. I mean, he, he hurt them. <laughs> All right, next position we've got at the wide receiver position. This is kind of a short one. Uh, I'm surprised. Uh, we've got Riley Ridley of the Georgia. The wrong Georgia wide receiver, in my opinion. <laughs> Andy Isabella of UMass. Who Very I nice. My God, yeah. that's, a, that's if that's not a Patriot guy, I don't know. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> right? You you just predict that. <laughs> yeah. Emmanuel Hall of Missouri, a typical Missouri guy, just like yeah. straight up deep threat. Yeah. Like lengthy, fast, like runs the go route over and over and over. Yeah. Again. If you watch, if you watch Drew Locke play, and a lot of fans of the Dolphins that you know are going to try to talk themselves into Drew Locke, I'm going to try to watch some of his games. If you watch them play. I, uh, we had a lot of conversations earlier on this year, and I said that Drew Locke couldn't be really judged fairly because his, the talent around him was just so ungodly bad. Well, that is not one of them. He was yeah. a really good Emmanuel player for him was, all year. Was <laughs> so yeah, um, it was basically Drew Locke and Emmanuel Hall all year and nobody else. So he stands out in all of that Drew Locke film. Ohio State's wide receiver, Johnny Dixon, one of many wide receivers. You know, that's yeah. part of why I'm like, man, was Dwayne Haskins making all these guys look good or, or, or is, are they making him look good? Because, yeah. you know, yeah, one thing that Dwayne Haskins can't do for these guys is make him run fast. 
Right. And the fact of the matter is Johnny Dixon is fast as shit. And Terry McLaurin is fast as hell. Yes. And Paris Campbell is even faster than both of them. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, and that those aren't the only good receivers either because there there's more. Um, but yeah, he's one of them and Miami's paying attention. And then Justin Hobbs of Tulsa, who I can't say anything about because I don't know him. Yeah, neither do I. But yeah, I will say this. I'm a fan of Terry Godwin of Georgia and not of Riley Ridley. Oh, I thought you were going to go with Nicole Hardman. Uh, you know what? Andy really? Isabella, like out, of this group, out of this group, I could see Andy Isabella being part of our receiver core. Oh, my God. Andy Isabella is so good. I, I say not just because he's going to go too high. He's going to, well, I really mean, think, you think he's going to go like, let's say what? Top six? Second round. Second round. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's, yeah, he's legit. He's legit fast four threes, like yes, low four threes. Yes, and, and he's like one of those guys that you would draft in the mid rounds, even if he was, if he ran like in the four fives, yes, because yeah. he's like, Oh man, he's so quick though. You know, he's, he's quick and, and he's, he's a good slot guy. And you know, he does all these things. Oh, except he's no, he really is four three Oh speed. And he's, yeah. he's more than just a slot guy. He's, outside uh, give me started on that guy he's he's really good um been keeping an eye on him for a while it's been it's been well over a year i think uh looking at him and you know yeah we've we've said the whole time since the first time we were like oh yeah that's a patriots guy i know it's cliche but yeah that's a patriots guy well now we have the patriots coaches so those patriots guys are our guys now (laughs) yes Uh, now Andy we gotta is- move on. We gotta move on, but I am disappointed in one thing. There is one guy that I don't mind trading down for. Mm-hmm. Hakeem Butler. Why mm-hmm. is he not on uh, this list? Because he's gonna go first round. I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be like the surprise thing when it happens. Like he goes first round, and now and Randy Moss went what twenty first or twenty second, right? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Do you see the the scenario where the Dolphins trade down, add an asset for 2020, maybe another asset in this draft a little bit later on, and are drafting Mm. somewhere around 20th, 21st, and Akeem Butler manages to get there and to take Mm. him? No, not at all, because I think that that, uh, that position's not – first off, they already have a lot of assets there, if you think about it. They have Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant, and then they have Kenny Stills. You don't think he's good enough to be an overwhelming BPA at that that point? No, no. I I just don't think – listen, I I don't necessarily know that they would draft like that, to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. I just think that they have enough bodies at that position and that it's not – as important in the offense think of all the things i've been saying how important the running back position is mm-hmm. in their passing game now and and we haven't even gotten into the tight end position and how important that is in their passing game and how important that could be this year in terms of their personnel grouping and their personnel usage um it's just not going to be all that important and so that i don't think they can find any justification for it all right now forget about the dolphins if it were up to you would you take them and that, oh, I yeah. love the guy. I love the guy. He's Brandon Marshall to me all over again. Yeah, sounds sounds good to me too. Yeah. All right, tight ends, small list. Kendall Blanton of Missouri. Now, I did see Drew Luck, like I said earlier. I saw Drew Luck play plenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> and Kale Waring of San Diego State. This is a guy that's moving up everybody's draft list. If you look at him, he's giant. Yeah. Can run, strong. You know, kind of, you know, ever since – Rob Gronkowski retired. Everybody's 
penciling him in as the next New England Patriot. Your thoughts on him? I don't know much about him. I haven't been, I didn't see him play much at San Diego State. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of them lately, and I'm just absolutely in love with the guy. I, I think that he's – you look at him, first off, you could tell, man, this guy takes care of his body. I mean, this guy mm-hmm. is this guy is a professional, all right? This, that's, that's what he's looking to be. He is built. I mean, he's 6'5 he's and 250-plus pounds and probably still putting on weight. You can tell he eats right. You can tell he, he lifts, you know, really well. I mean, there are guys – this guy is muscled up to all hell. And yet, for being all muscled up like that, he is fast. He is fluid. He is explosive. I mean, he cuts off of – you know, basically plants that one foot and and makes sharp cuts, and, and you just see it over and over again, and it's, it's route running. It's really crazy how good he is um, and how, how well he can roll out there. And, and then, you know, he's making these – catches outside of his frame high really mm-hmm. low ones which are challenging especially for a tall dude um you know i he's just he's a phenomenal player and the thing that you you wonder about him is okay well does he block two well he comes from a complete running offense i mean they run like two-thirds of a time at san diego state so you, you better be pretty good at blocking for the run if you want to if you want to work your way up that depth chart and the bottom line is yeah i mean he's got the mentality for you you look at a way a guy is structured right and and the way that he sits when he um when he's when he's blocking and and he everything is built just right for him everything is is built exactly as you want it he does remind me he's he's either you know he reminds me of a lot of either travis kelsey or you know he could draw those rob gronkowski uh, type comparisons. I have Just, another name. I have another. Look at the if you look at the body. If you look yeah. at the body, though, it's that. It's that. That's where I'm and going. At the combine, at the combine, he like ran in the four sixes. Yeah, so, and you know where I'm going with this. Jump metrics. So you know, you know what name you know jumps out to me as far as him as a comparable Dennis Pitta. Yeah, I wouldn't go with Pitta because Pitta was lighter. I mean, he was he was. So I remember Dennis Pitta. I saw him at the Shrine game. Mm-hmm. Um, at the Shrine practices, and I, I watched him all week at the Shrine practices. I was a big fan of his. Now, let's be fair. If he's Dennis Pitta, he's a home run pick. Dennis oh, absolutely. Pitta, but yeah, I mean, Pitta Dennis just Pitta, had really bad injuries. Den- Dennis Pitta, but I watched him. I watched him a lot. I was a big fan of his coming out of college, and I watched him at the Shrine practices and stuff like that. He was an interference blocker. I mean, he was, you know, at best. And right. and blocking was the big thing that everybody blocking, not just blocking, but physicality. Blocking and physicality were the things that you were you, you were not big fans of from Dennis Pitta coming out of college. And, you know, he, he showed up. He's, he's about big enough, but, you know, a little bit on the light side. And you look at his body, and you could sort of see that. Um, this guy is rocked up to unbelievable. You know, he is, he's built more like Rob Gronkowski and looks more like Rob Gronkowski than he does Dennis Pitta to me. And I think that that's, that's the – if you're not going for that particular comparison, then maybe Travis Kelsey or somebody like that. Um, but he's a big-time he's a big time presence in their San Diego State passing game, which isn't a big passing game, so they rely on him a lot. Um, and then, you know, in the blocking game, I think he's not – he didn't end up being the blocking tight end. They gave that uh, that – duty to parker houston 
um, who's just a little bit thicker and probably a little bit more of a dog than him, but he's also just like a blocking specialist. Um, this guy, they didn't have him be the blocking specialist because they really needed him to be part of the passing game. But when they did put him on the line, which was very often, they put him on the line, asked him to block people straight up. He is phenomenal that way. I think, I think he has phenomenal potential. Um, and then probably just as importantly, when he's out running the route, he has the ability to integ integrate that physicality into his route running, like get off the bump and continue on with it. You know, this was Mike Gesicki's problem last year, right? He gets bumped and he's like falling down mm. or, uh, or he's like stumbling or something like that. Like this guy gets bumped. He just continues right on with the route. He don't care. Yeah. Um, and that's, this is a real why. And Miami needs a real why because they're not going to get the returns out of Mike Gesicki uh, unless they're able to use him as the second tight end and two tight end sets. Mm -hmm. And um, and for that to happen, they need him to be uh, – they need a real Y that can play off the, the shoulder of the offensive tackle, um, like like Gronkowski and Hernandez in 2011-12 for the New England Patriots. All right, let's move on to offensive line. Offensive linemen. Uh, we have offensive tackle. We have Juwan Taylor of Florida. Yeah, uh, Andre which if they take him, if they take Jawan Taylor in the thirteenth pick overall in this draft, it'll be the most unsexy draft in the history of the Miami Dolphins yeah. because they just got rid of Jawan James. But he's as a sure thing as you can get. The only thing is, yeah, yeah you are taking basically another right tackle after you just let one go. So. Yeah, I know that's true. Uh, but you know, he's probably the only tackle I really feel like is gonna is is a legit. Is a legit NFL starter, like a good one. Um, Absolutely. He's, he reminds me a lot of Laramie Tunsil, actually, except he's been playing mm -hmm. right tackle. Yeah. Uh, Andre Dillard, and by the way, uh, for unsexy, like last year, we, we kicked Indomitian Sue, right? Kicked mm -hmm. Indomitian Sue out. And every time I would say something about, um, about you know, taking, taking a defensive tackle, in the first round, I had yeah. all these fans like, oh, just shoot me now, kill me, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Fast forward one year, what's the position everybody freaking wants at 13 overall this year? <laughs> everybody wants everybody wants no, and everybody oh. wants one of those clones that look just yeah. like Indomitian yeah. Sue. And yeah. and so it's like it's like, you know, don't don't talk to me about sexy now. <laughs> we'll talk in a year. You'll be saying now you'll be like, Oh yeah, we need a right tackle. Uh, anyway, Andre Dillard of Washington State. Coda Martin of Syracuse, Aaron Montero of Boston College, Chidi Okiki, I'm not saying that name right, but anyway, uh, Tennessee State, Ryan Pope, San Diego State of the school that I just talked about a little bit, uh, and Max Sharping of Northern Illinois. I know some people like him, but Coda Martin, by the way, Coda Martin of Syracuse, whom they paid attention to quite strongly at his pro day recently, um, evidently married to his coach's daughter nice <laughs> dino babers he's part of the he's he's part of the dino babers family yeah i love dino babers just just so i never everybody knows it i have a deep love for him <laughs> i say my sexy voice all right you have anything you don't have any you don't have any you know uh, no, just Jawan taylor really i, I, I do it. like some of these guards and i guess i'll read off some of the guards drew sammy out of oklahoma Mm -hmm. Chris Lidstrom of Boston College, who, if I have a dollar for every time somebody's going to compare him to Chris Snee, just because they're white, they're both 6'4 and 310 pounds, and they both went to Boston College, I'll be a billionaire, okay? But he can play. Tyler Bowling right. of Tulsa, 
Phil Haynes of Wake Forest, who I have not seen play. He played in the ACC, but I didn't see him play. Bunchy Stallings, a great name from Kentucky. My Terrible favorite player. center. My favorite center in the draft. Lamont Villard, Georgia. Absolute favorite? My favorite center. Well, favorite center that's attainable because the other one's going in the first round. Okay. Ryan Anderson of Wake Forest. What stands out to you, Chris? Uh, well, Lamont Guyard or Guylard um, of Georgia is a, a nice player. I saw him at Shrine practices. He did about exactly as you would think. Uh, he's sort of an athletically limited, um, blocky body at center. Uh, very smart player. Um, you know, good leverage and everything, but um, not not a sexy name at that position. I think that the the sexy names at that position are Garrett Bradbury and Eric McCoy. Um, Maybe in that order, maybe in the reverse order. I don't know. Bradbury is absolutely a first-round pick. Yeah, and so is McCoy. You think Eric Eric McCoy makes the first round too? I think he could. I think absolutely he could. Uh, He's he's that good. Um, Drew Samia, I've started to like him a little bit more than Ben Powers just because I think he's got a little bit more for us athletically than powers does uh both play on the same offensive line that of course that that offensive line that was the best in college football this year blocking for kyler murray ben powers more of a pass protector i think drew samia uh is is a guy that's known as a little bit better of a run blocker guy who can get out in space and do a little bit more that way and be more involved in a zone based running attack i think um bunchy stallings of kentucky terrible player absolutely terrible have no idea why why i'm very i'm actually disappointed they even talked to him except for to just like slap him in the face and say why are you so awful i watched him at the shrine practices i had him picked out from like basically warm-ups because this is this is one of those people that you you just like mechanically you just don't work like i mean i I don't even know how you move it's, it's weird um you know i just don't yeah i don't get it i watched him play and practice all more i'm really tearing him up uh, I, I watched him practice all week i just I, I don't know i just wasn't a huge fan uh chris lindstrom you have nothing to say no nothing <laughs> it reminds me of chris snee <laughs> yeah you see i, I just made five dollars just because you said that <laughs> all, all right, right defensive, defensive, defensive end. End. i'll do it uh nick bosa Ohio State, we know him. Yes. Uh, Montez Sweat, Mississippi State. This, boy, this is like a full of headliners here. Uh, J. Chai Polite of mm-hmm. Florida. Jalen Ferguson of Louisiana Tech. Charles Amenahu, as we would predict, of Texas. L.J. Collier of TCU. Love him. Great. Uh, Zach Allen of Boston College. Could be the best Jordan. defender in the draft. Yeah. Jordan Brailford of Oklahoma. Why would you say that? Jordan Brailford of Oklahoma State. And Emmanuel Turner – wow, I'm still going because there's still more names. Emmanuel Turner of Louisiana Tech, the other guy, I guess, at Louisiana Tech. Chase Vinovich of Michigan. God, this list is good. Um, and defensive end of Oregon, Jalen Jelks. And the, some people might list him as sort of an outside he, – he's not an outside linebacker. And the, he's going to be an inside-outside guy in the NFL, NFL Jalen Jelks is. Um, anyway uh, – what a position! What a list this is. This is yes, it is absolutely absurd. Every I'm going going through this is like every. It's like a you know, it's it's a who's who. By the way, I Bosa. thought you said Josh Allen of Kentucky when I said that. He oh, was yeah, you're you're like best play best so you defender. Said Zach of Allen of Boston. Zach Allen, yeah, Zach Allen of Boston College. I, like, I have not seen him play. That? 
Why would you say that? Why would you say that he's the best defender in the draft? No, Josh Allen is the best defender. Yeah, in the Josh draft. Allen, I I agree. Uh, <laughs> maybe no, Nick Bosa is, but um, yeah, Josh yeah, Allen I could see it. He's superb. He's superb. But yeah, what what who who doesn't stand out at you? Let's go the opposite way. Who's the who's the slappy in this list? Uh, Montez Sweat will not be a Miami Dolphin. He'll be an Oakland. Really? Raider. Yeah, he'll be an Oakland oh, Raider. I think because he's going number four. Yes. And Nick Bosa yeah. will not be a Miami Dolphin because he might yeah. go number two or number one. Yeah, or number one. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, the realistic guys, Charles Omenihu, LJ Collier. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Those are the two that stand out to me. Chase Winovich, of course. Oh, God, he's so good, though. Yeah. He's so, so, he's so good. Yeah, there's a lot to like here. This is why this is one of those drafts where, you know, they're really going to have to decide what they're going to do about the quarterback position and when they want the, the ammo because mm-hmm. this is not a bad draft to have a ton of ammo to get two or three defenders in the top 60. You know what I mean? You know, it makes me wonder, like, you know, can, can, could they really be looking at Clellan Farrell uh, or somebody like that in the, in, at number 13 when they can – circle back and get Charles Amenahu or LJ Collier or, you know, right. Chase Benovich. Uh, any of these guys are, are perfectly valid, valid to stick in this defense. Jordan Brailford is a little bit of a different kind of player than those guys because um, he's more of an outside linebacker, you know, edge type player. He played, you know, they had him rushing the passer uh, from an up position as like a blitzer in the middle of the line or playing linebacker positions. I mean, Oklahoma State really got creative with him like Miami used to do with uh, Jason Taylor once upon a time. Um, I, I love him as a player. I love all these, virtually all of these guys as players. LJ Kyle, a Collier, I did a big Twitter thread about. I mean, just the, the sheer number of guys that he knocks to the ground. I mean, really just knocks them. I'm not talking about like they tripped. All right. <laughs> I'm talking about like he punched them and they got went to the floor. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what he does. And uh, he's very powerful and handles double teams all the time. Probably the best that I've seen of anybody in this draft uh, handles double teams really well. Um, and then, you know, Chase Minovich is just absolutely amazing uh, as a player at Michigan. Super productive. Uh legit athletic big strong i mean just so much to say about all of these guys um you know zach allen is not the best defensive player in the draft but uh, he's he is a productive player he's a smart player he's a good rusher i think he's a little bit stiff sometimes but so i'd i'd probably have him down a little bit among these names but man what a position yeah now let's move on to defensive tackle now they talked to quinnon williams now i don't know why but I guess you never know. You never know if, you know, somehow he gets there. But, sure, yeah, they sure. spoke to him. Now, they did speak to Ed Oliver. And yeah. that's a guy that you have to be – if he's staring you in the face at 13, quarterback or no quarterback, you got to really think about it because he could be one of those generational types. Absolutely. I've seen him guard I've, – I've, I've seen him defend running backs out of the backfield and run with him like if he was a linebacker, okay? <laughs> Film is that good. Yeah, he's he spoke to Dexter Lawrence of Clemson, Jerry Tillery of Notre Dame, Armand Watts of Arkansas, Terry Breckner of Missouri, Jordan Bradford of Louisiana Tech, Albert Huggins of Clemson. That's two Clemson interior defensive linemen, and they didn't speak to the right one yet. Michael Dogby of Temple. What stands out? What stands out to me is that they, they didn't speak to a certain guy from Clemson, but they spoke to his two other teammates. 
Yeah, I can't. I got to believe that somewhere along the line they did actually speak to him, and we just haven't heard about it yet or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Dexter Lawrence, certain, first off, Dexter Lawrence kind of stands out as, you know, the classic nose tackle. He's humongous. He is, and of course, uh, we're talking I mean, about Christian Wilkins, that they yeah. didn't speak to Christian Wilkins. That's right. And, and we think that he could be sort of the favorite. If they stay in place at 14 or 13 overall, um, he could be the favorite to be taken at 13 overall yeah, for the Dolphins. Easily. Because we think that, you know, he just checks all of their boxes, especially from a character and personality profile standpoint. And sometimes talking to these other guys is about finding out information about about a Christian Wilkins. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what kind of teammate he is and stuff like that. Dexter Lawrence, classic nose tackle, though. A lot of people will be onto him because of that and and the perception that Miami does need one of those types. And he's which, giant you know, and athletic. Is not unfounded, by the way. It's, you know, they do probably need somebody like that. Um, the, anybody else that really stands out at me? I, you know, Jerry Tillery is a guy that I know Simon and has been on to recently and loves him he's a, he's he's such a pure pass rusher from the position though mm-hmm. um which makes it interesting you know could he be a defensive end uh you know inside outside pass rusher uh someone like that possibly i i think that's um that's a that's a very very good possibility uh, otherwise it's just like Ed Oliver is so good. Um, yes, it's is. hard not to get tunnel vision about him at 13, except it's just that he's not going to make it there. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, forget about him. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like Quinn Williams. Forget about him. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, try again next year. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I'll go on to the next one. Justin Hollins, linebacker Justin Hollins of Oregon. Yes. Ben Banogu of TCU. Sione Takitaki of BYU. Joe Deneen of Kansas, um, Mike Smith of Miami, Sutton Smith of Northern Illinois. By the way, Sutton Smith is a – well, like, um, like some of the, several of these guys, several of these guys are pass rushers. Sutton Smith of Northern Illinois, Ben Benogu of TCU, and Justin Hollins of Oregon are pass rushers, uh, whereas Sione Takitaki – actually, Sione Takitaki, interesting thing about him, he used to be a pass rusher. And so he, he's kind of like um, – What's his name? That uh, that middle linebacker for New England for a long time, uh, Teddy Bruschi, yeah. uh, used to be a pass rusher, and then uh, and then he moved to middle linebacker. So he's he's that kind of guy. He was a pass rusher first, and then he moved to middle linebacker. And then Joe Deneen, just super highly productive uh, middle linebacker at Kansas. Uh, anybody stand out to you? Well, Justin Hollins. Uh, Justin Hollins is a guy that we've talked about a lot, and doesn't he doesn't he really fit that bill of that that pass rush by committee or that pass rush by scheme he's the guy that could fit that bill from the outside can he because yeah he he has that look he's he's kind of bendy he's rangy he's Mm -hmm. not and he's not like i would say he's built more like a basketball player which Mm -hmm. you know he looks like a pass rusher so yeah yeah, i think he he fits the bill as far as like what they're going to be looking for so Justin, yeah, he stands out a lot. Justin was hugely productive as a pass rusher at Oregon, but I don't know that I would forecast him to be an excellent pass rusher at the next level. I think he's a better linebacker than he is a pass rusher at the next level mm-hmm. because really, um, if you look at if you look at the way he plays, uh, he he runs in the four fours, okay, and he's yeah. like six foot five and two hundred and 
uh, I forget how, exactly what weight he is. It's like 250 pounds or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I mean, so he's, he's a remarkable athlete. He was an excellent pass rusher at Oregon. You got to give him credit for that because he was used in that role. And that's, that's what he did. But when he got to the shrine week and the shrine game, he was used in so much. So here's the thing about the shrine game. They, they play a lot of different, defensive fronts and a lot of different kinds of things because they're trying to show these guys off for the NFL scouts and all the NFL teams run different systems. So they're trying to give them a good look at all these, you know, here's, here's, here's a guy playing as like a, you know, like a Leo now, or here's a guy playing like a, like a Sam or something like that. Um, So they, they play all these different defensive fronts, but he was one of the only guys that in all these different, different defensive fronts, that were being used in the game uh, played a little bit of everything. And, you know, whereas, whereas other, they're, they're showing a three man front cause they want to show a particular guy or um, he was playing everything. And if you're asking yourself, well, what, what is he going to be at the next level? Just look at the shrine game. He was the, he was the MVP of the shrine game and he did it by playing on the line as a Sam. He played as like a Leo, a pass rusher, um, he played off the ball as like a stacked linebacker uh, behind the defensive line. Uh, and, and he just was covering backs out of the backfield. He was making plays in the quarterback. Yeah. I believe he had a big sack in there. Um, you know, the things that got him the, the MVP of the game, he was just hugely impressive doing everything. And what it reminds you of is a very specific person to me. And that's Donta Hightower of the New- New England Patriots and the way that he's used to do everything for them because they use him as an outside linebacker pass rusher a lot. And they do the same thing with Kyle Van Noy as well. And Miami doesn't have players like this. Miami doesn't have players that can play like linebackers one play and then play like, you know, edge rushers the next play. We don't have that. Um, We don't have the size in our linebacking unit to do that. Justin Hollins is a guy that Miami could grab in the second or third round and immediately that would be inserted into the linebacker group. You wouldn't have to worry about it anymore, um, or at least I think so. So I, that's how I see him fit. I think he'd be a tremendous fit that way. But there might be something to be said for like a Ben Bonogu to do, you know, doing the same thing. TCU, also a very athletic, rangy um, pass rusher guy who might be able to transition to a real linebacker position. All right, now we move on to defensive backs, and we have Byron Murphy of Washington, popular. Yep. Reed Williams of LSU, kind of falling mm-hmm. on some draft boards. Rocky Sin from Temple, great name, great player, by the way. Blaze Brown of Troy, Derek mm-hmm. Beatty of Kentucky, Kedar mm-hmm. Holman of Toledo, Sean Bunting of Central Michigan, his teammate Xavier Crawford of Central Michigan, Javante Dean of Miami. Why? I don't know why. <laughs> Montre Hardridge of Northwestern. Donnie Lewis Jr. of Tulane. Julian Love of Notre Dame. If, I know everybody's watched him play because Notre Dame's always on NBC. And he was <laughs> always – basically every Saturday afternoon on NBC was the Julian Love highlight film. So everybody should know about this guy. He can play. Trayvon mm-hmm. Mullen of Clemson, Tyree Cannell of Michigan, Mike Edwards of Kentucky. These last two are more hybrid safety types. That's Even right. Thoughts on the group. I mean, the 
so Trayvon Mullen stands out because he's a good player from Clemson and he showed up. He's, he's definitely athletic enough. Uh, I think some people might've been worried about that, but he is uh, greedy Williams, you know, could be a sneaky consideration at thir- 13 really um, because Miami is so is this new defense, you know, the new defense Miami's running is mm-hmm. going to be so man oriented. It's the most man oriented defense in the league. Yes. And that's what Greedy Williams is. I mean, he's a really lengthy guy who runs like the wind. And Yeah, and we talked about this before. There was two guys that I especially really, really wanted the Dolphins to take, and they didn't take either, and they had the opportunity to take both. And that was Antonio Cromartie when they took Jason Allen and Aqib Tlaib a couple of years past mm-hmm. that. Greedy Williams is in that mold. Long, you know, rangy, lean, man type. Runs like the wind. Exactly. Is so, bad against the run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we could, we could, and, and if you remember, Tackles like the wind. <laughs> yeah, Antonio Cromartie and Akeem Tlaib both had that knock. They did mm-hmm. not play the they run. Did. They were terrible in run support. They wouldn't even tackle in space. So both turned out to be pretty good pros. So, yeah, Derek Beatty is interesting. I think uh, we've looked at, we both looked at him before. Another lengthy corner. Um, I think he can run pretty well. Uh, at, he showed up to Shrine Week. He had really a terrible week of practices. I can forgive that. Um, I'm not a guy that tends to to look at that negatively. I tend to look at it as, you know, a positive or a lack of a positive. Um, so, you know, he he did well at Kentucky. I thought he stood he stood out at Kentucky. I always liked him a little bit better than uh, than the other guy who's gotten more popular, Lonnie Johnson. Um, so it's no surprise that the teams that are on to Derek Beatty are really the teams that are running Miami system. I mean, we're talking about Detroit and Miami. I think, you know, New England might be looking at him, but I think the Tennessee Titans might be looking at him as well. You know, Mike Brable's over there. Um, so it, it's interesting. He, he fits. He's one to keep an eye on. Uh, but otherwise, the safety position, what strikes me there is, I, you know, I don't have any safeties. I don't know if this is just a, 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 a you know, shortcoming of the list or whatever, but we don't have any safeties other than Mike Edwards of Kentucky, who is a, a great, you know, nickel safety, kind of a day three guy that you could take athletic limitations, but plays the game the right way. Absolutely. Um, and Tyree Cannell, who I've never looked at, uh, you know, there's nobody here. I mean, I'm Juan Thornhill. Where's Juan Thornhill? He's amazing. Exactly. Where's, where's Ugo Amadi, uh, another guy that I'm a huge fan of at Oregon. Where's, uh, you know, where's, Jonathan Abram of Mississippi State, he, you know, really massive talent guy. Um, you know, all these guys are Nasir Adderley of, uh, of, of Delaware. Yeah, uh, yeah yes. none of those guys are there. But I will Nothing. say this, uh, Julian Love is a sexy name. Your thoughts on him? Because I like you know, he, he has that – I'm not going to say he is this guy because this is another guy that I really liked in, you know, a couple of years ago. And I, I was told that the Dolphins were really on to him. They ended up not drafting him, and that was Desmond King, a mm. guy who, oddly enough, beat out Xavier, Xavier Howard for all-pro cornerback, although this guy plays nickel. But Julian Love gets that comparison to Desmond King. Do you see it a little bit in there? I think, I think so. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's tough because to be Desmond King, you know, you fit a certain profile, and right. I'm not sure that um, – not sure that he's exactly the same. I just, I, I think that he fits what Miami wants to do. And I know that yeah. 
you know, New England, this style, you're going to be looking at that cone drill and you're going to be looking at that shuttle, um, shuttle number. And he ran a six, seven, two, and he ran a four, one, oh, um, these are great numbers. And, but four, five, four, 40, though, here's the thing, this style of, if you really look at what, what New England has had running in their, their secondary from their, um, their corner positions, especially yeah. the, the outside corner positions, these are fast guys. They're very fast guys. They're all four four, like low four four, or you know, mostly in the four threes. Um, they're very fast people. So you know, it's something. Listen, New England obviously doesn't care about speed when it comes to like defensive ends or even right. linebacker, right? I mean, you look at and, and they don't care, um, but they care about it where they care about it. And they seem to care about it with the corner position. And, uh, and I don't know if they've brought that with them to Miami or not. We'll see. I mean, they, they imported coaches from New England. They didn't import the front office from New England. Right. Um, so we'll see if the, uh, the, the priorities actually shift. But in a man coverage-oriented system, as, you know, as, as heavily man coverage-oriented as it is in Miami – I tend to think that they're going to want somebody that's fast enough to do what Jason McCourty did in the Super yeah. Bowl, breaking up that pass. That pass. Yeah. So yeah. So not a very sexy group, I would say. But Rockison, Rockison, Greedy Williams, Byron Murphy at thirteen or around that area on a trade down. Let's say thirteen mm-hmm. to nineteen. Well, I can't see Rockison that high, but um, personally, yeah, Rockison. Yeah, he, he's more. He's hugging that early second late first right mm-hmm. yeah but it's interesting really? that they're they've been on to byron murphy and on to Gre- greedy williams not on to deandre baker that we've seen um and and this list i think i find that interesting because you know greedy is more of the man coverage dude yes and deandre baker more of the zone coverage guy um so although i think that's unfair to deandre i think you can play anything um also not particularly fast, but Sean Bunting is a fast guy. Kadar Holloman is a really fast guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so interesting list, how it's shaping up. Uh, I think, you know, more names are going to continue to get added to it. And, um, and we'll see how this, uh, how this really goes. But, uh, but I think it's a good start for us yeah. uh, with this, you know, looking over, looking at all the guys that Miami has been looking at, paying attention to. Um, and, and yeah, we'll we see. thank, and we thank Kevin Dern for providing us with this list. Yep. On the way out, I'm going to put you on the spot. You have the list in front of you. You have all these names in front of you. Yeah. Forget about the unrealistic ones. Okay. Who's the most likely Miami Dolphin in this entire list? Oh, crap. And really? don't say don't say Kyler Murray. Don't say Quentin oh, Williams. God, that's you just, even said that Ed Oliver was, was, a, was a pipe dream, so don't say Ed Oliver. Ah, that would be easy. Give me the name. Uh, I'll give you mine. Okay, so... The most likely guy in this entire list. Shit, man, that's tough. <laughs> that's really, that's really difficult. I already picked mine. Already you already picked. got. All right, you you go. I think Greedy Williams. I think he makes a lot of sense. And at I thirteen, really, you think you think Greedy Williams at thirteen? Yes, I I really think that they could they could talk themselves into saying, you know what, Minka Fitzpatrick, mm-hmm. Xavier Howard, Greedy Williams. That's a hell of a start on the defense. So yeah, why not? I mean, uh, so I won't go with Dwayne Haskins because even though I, I think that might be the truth, um, you know, let me let me go with 
in that case, Justin Hollins. I'm going to go with Justin Hollins from Oregon. I think Miami really needs this sort of inside-outside linebacker type, you know, or edge rusher slash linebacker type that can help them get their system. Because they had two of those in New England, and, right. and Donta Hightower and Kyle Van Noy. Miami doesn't have any of those. They have Raekwon McMillan and Jerome Baker and Kiko Alonso, who we're not sure if he's actually going to be here next year or not. Um, yeah, it just, none of those guys fit that. Fit yeah. that bit. And, and we're, you know, listen, we're, they're going to try and get a defensive end. We know they're going to try and get a defensive end that can – going that can reduce inside and rush over guard right like trey flowers used to Mm -hmm. we know they're going to try and do that they're going to get that somewhere um in the draft and and that's why they've talked to all of these very very high profile names in the draft be it chase vinovich and and um and zach allen lj collier charles amenahu jalen ferguson and montez sweat uh that's what that's why they've talked to all those guys that's what and jalen jelks that's why they've talked to them they're gonna that's what they're looking at us even montez sweat is going to be an inside outside guy uh uh, news for all the people that think he's going to be an outside linebacker or something like that that's not how miami's looking at him um so we know they're going to get that but then who rushes from the outside you know charles uh the guy can't even remember his name now. He's so he's so bad. Charles Harris. Charles Harris. Is it going to be Charles Harris? He's not even a linebacker, really. And who do we have in the linebackers unit that can that can go out and rush the outside? Nobody. So I'm going to so say Justin Hollins. All right. Well, this was one meaty show, Chris. Meaty. Yes. Yes. It's yes. a Miami meaty. Yeah, it was a Miami meat show. So. Yeah, we give you a lot. This was the first of many leading up to the 2019 NFL draft. That's it. There is no more. We'll talk to you guys next week, hopefully with Simon in tow. But till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.